This is the Overtime Podcast Network. This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. Jets have fired Jim Mike McCagnan and taking over in his spot, at least on an interim basis, is head coach Adam Gase. Now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. Back-to-back days with new shows. A rarity on the TOJ feed, but... Uh, unique situation here, obviously, with the Jets firing their general manager. Uh, we had an opportunity to talk with Tony Pauline of the draftanalyst.com, longtime draft insider who had really been ahead of the curve, uh, along with Mike Lombardi, about the strife within the Jets organization in terms of reporting what the problems were. So we were able to grab him for about a 22 minute conversation about what the hell happened with the Jets this offseason. This was a really interesting chat about. Uh, where, what these guys disagreed with, how this all went down. Uh, must listen for any Jets fan, and uh, appreciate Tony for giving us the time today. So we're going to jump right into that interview. As always, a reminder, subscribe, rate, review on iTunes. And we are now joined by Tony Pauline, longtime NFL Draft Insider, founder of DraftAnalyst.com. He has been out in front of some of the turmoil within the New York Jets organization, uh, which we've heard about a few weeks, which culminated with both Mike McCagnin and Brian Heimerdinger being fired yesterday. Tony, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So when did you start hearing about problems within the Jets organization with this new regime and sort of the post-Todd Bowles era? When, when did this chatter really pick up about some potential discord? Really at the beginning of free agency. I mean, uh, I, my big report, or my first report, was the day before round one of the NFL draft, but it was something that had been building uh, since the beginning of free agency. And it was really when Anthony Barr, you know, reversed course and, and made the Jets look foolish when he, you know, said, no, I'm not going to, even though I, you know, I agreed to these terms, I'm going to go back to Minnesota. And several people in the know told me that they didn't think, or they said, Mike McCagnin will not survive this, which was very vague. Um, but I reported at the time, and I kind of kept it in my pocket uh, as we move forward towards the draft, uh, at times actively seeking out information, and at times having people tell me things when, that wasn't soli- when I didn't solicit them. Uh, and it really all culminated the day before the uh, first round of the draft when someone said, listen, word around the league is the Jets are going to fire uh, McCagnin. Uh, a couple within a week or two after the draft. Is it accurate to look at this as being framed as an Adam Gase power play that he was able to make within a few months after actually being hired by all people of McCagnin and Heimerdinger along with Chris Johnson? Or is this more of something where Johnson, according to what he said, actually got a little more in the weeds and recognized that his GM was 24 and 40 over the past few years, but he didn't get to doing that until uh, the offseason rather than during the regular season, which would have made for a more logical or traditional transition of just letting go of him with Todd Bowles. Is it accurate to say that Gase was really the driving force behind this, or were there bigger other factors at work here? Gase was the provocateur. There's absolutely no doubt about it. And that's really what I heard from the early part. I heard that he was just overbearing. He was overpowering. Uh, I heard that he was, I know for a fact, he was complaining to people on the outside when he didn't get players signed that he wanted signed, primarily Daniel Fells, the tight end, who he thought would be a good fit for his system and a good fit for the personality he wanted on the team. You know, there were other things people were telling me he was starting fights with uh, Mike McCagnon. I don't know that that, 
is absolutely true. I think that's, that's probably an exaggeration, but that kind of tell, tells me what was going on inside the facility. There's no doubt that, uh, that Gates provo- provoked a lot of this. Uh, to the point where some people tell me that he that he felt a week in that you know he he wanted to get McCagnan out of there again I don't know that to be the truth but that tells you the mindset and when you constantly hear these things as they say there's smoke there's fire then on the other hand you know I understand the timing of it because you know since McCagnan really took over from the coaching search on. There's been a lot of disaster, and the Jets have looked foolish at several points through the coaching search and through free agency. I mean, you know, Adam Gase was their third choice. They, the number one candidate was Matt Rule, uh, who a lot of people said, you know, why are you taking a guy from a, a, mid, a mid-level coach from a, a mid-level college program? This is not Lincoln Riley or Dabble Sweeney we're talking about. This is a guy who's trying to bring a program back, doesn't have a large track record. And then Rule wouldn't take the job because the Jets wanted to force assistance on him. Then they want, and Jet fans are like, well, hey, we dodged that bullet, especially since the next candidate was Mike McCarthy, who was, you know, the number one candidate on a number of people's lists. McCarthy doesn't get the job, and what happens? They default to option number three, which is Adam Gase, because Gase is desperate for a job, and at this point, the Jets are running out of warm bodies. So really, right from the get-go, from the coaching search, you know, it, it's not really not really good for the Jets. It's got very bad optics. Everyone wanted to say the saving grace was, you know, they brought Greg Williams in as a defensive coordinator, but, you know, as we're as people are finding out now, and I had heard all along, you know, that has a lot of downside risk. And then you get into free agency. Now, the one thing we knew about free agency was it was a strong pass rusher class, and there were two top centers in free agency. The Jets desperately needed a pass rusher, and they needed a starting center, and they came out of, and they had all this money to spend in free agency. And when free agency is over, guess what? They don't have their pass rusher. They don't have their starting center. So I think if you're the owner, I mean, even if you're a remedial fan, you know, yeah, you, you got Le'Veon Bell, but big deal. Le'Veon Bell really doesn't fit Adam Gase's offense. Uh, Le'Veon Bell's an inside power runner, and Gase runs an outside the gap scheme, uh, an outside zone scheme. Uh, you know, it, 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 every, you know, Le'Veon Bell was a headliner. Greg Williams was a headliner. But when you really strip it down, Mike McCagnan did not do a good job through the coaching search and through free agency. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. In a way, it seemed almost like McCagnan was getting a promotion right after the season because he was going to be involved in this coaching search, something he had never done before. It sounded like Heimerdinger was also integrally involved in that. And whispers, I felt like, started to come out around then that those two guys did not really comport themselves very well at all in most of those interviews. And with Rule, it's it would seem like that was about to be a done deal. It fell through, and then 10 minutes later, they hired Gase, a guy that, if you ask Jet fans, the the morning he was hired, if you wanted Adam Gase, and he wasn't hired yet, 90% of them said no, and now, of course, that he's been hired, opinion on him is going to change. That's what happens with fans. I get that. Uh, but it seems once they move forward after that, there was sort of a mishmash of strategies where it has, you know, Gase really wanted C.J. Mosley to the point where they made him 
almost ridiculously overpaid as the highest paid inside linebacker in the league. And McCagnan really wanted Bell, so they ended up paying a lot of money for him. Uh, and like you said, that leaves them without a set, leaves them without a center, despite Paradis and Moore being out there, um, leaves them without cornerback help. Was there anything that happened draft weekend that maybe was the straw that broke the camel's back? Or was this a done deal regardless of what happened draft weekend? Well, I reported in my, uh, before the draft, and people have followed along. Uh, both Gase and McCagnan had a meeting of the minds a week before the draft. They were taken out by a third party uh, in the Jets organization, the Jets front office, who basically was the guy in the middle who was getting it from all sides, from McCagnan against Gase, from Gase against McCagnan. And he said, let's take these guys out. They went out for a dinner to try and smooth things over. And everything at that point in time seemed like, you know, they were able to air their grievances. The thing with Adam Gase is, you know, Gase and McCagnan, to, to answer your question, I don't think there was anything draft weekend that broke the camel's back. I think this had been building, and they went out for, uh, they went out for dinner to try and smooth the, smooth the rough edges and air things out. They seemingly did that. But, you know, Gase is a very temperamental guy. He is a type A personality squared. And you never know what you're going to get. He's a guy who can change on a dime. That's what happened in Miami often. So as I said in my podcast, when I broke the story and I mentioned this meeting, I said it remains to be seen whether this is going to uh, hold out for the long term. I don't think there was one thing. I think it's a combination of Gase. He was not happy with, with the say and the control he was having. Uh, there were some people who said, out, told me outright, he was trying to push McCagnin out. And then I think, you know, like I said, from the coaching search through free agency, there were just constant fumbles uh, from Mike McCagnin that really made the, uh, made the organization look foolish. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. And this seemed to be a reoccurring problem with Gase in Miami. And I think while myself and many other Jet fans were not a fan of McCagnin and do ultimately think it's a positive thing that he's not with the organization, it leaves you in a situation now where Adam Gase is one of the most powerful head coaches in football as the interim, interim GM. And this is a guy who was 23 and 25 and has had a losing season the past two years. And as you've alluded to, has a reputation for being a little tense and potentially rubbing people the wrong way or more or less being a my way or the highway kind of guy. Now, the immediate rumor, and you would assume, and again, I don't want to assume competence from the organization at this moment, you would assume if they fired McCagnin, they have a replacement lined up in mind. That guy has been rumored to be Joe Douglas of the Philadelphia Eagles, a name who's been kind of kicked around, interestingly, for the past few months. I randomly had someone reach out to me from Reddit surfacing his name in October, and all of a sudden, he's now like teed up to be this top guy, along with potentially Daniel Jeremiah. Is that what your expectation is for where this goes from here? Is this sort of a done deal, and now the Jets are just going through the motions, but they know that they're getting Douglas? No, it's it's definitely not a done deal. I, I mean, other teams have wanted Douglas in the past, and the Eagles think so highly of him. They've blocked Douglas from moving away, so moving out of the organization because the Eagles like him. So I think that uh, you know it's 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 a long way from being a done deal. I think the Eagles are going to do everything they can to keep Joe Douglas because he's well thought of in that in that facility. He's and he's with a winning organization. So, you know, the Eagles, whether it's legally, whether it's giving him a new promotion, whether it's giving him more money, the Eagles are going to try and keep Joe Douglas. And then the question for Joe Douglas is, you know, if he comes here to New York, 
is he going to have control of the organization or is he just going to be a guy that's going to kind of rubber stamp, you know, everything that Adam Gase wants? Because you, you don't want to fall into that uh, uh, sort of uh, that, that scheme because if it goes downhill, and I think that there's a large probability it could go downhill and, and you're rubber stamping everything for Adam Gase, you don't want that on your resume. You don't need that on a re- resume, especially if you're a guy like Joe Douglas who could get a good job at the end of the 2019 season. Not that the Jets isn't a good job, but if you're just coming here to nod your head up and down for Adam Gase, then it's, it's really not a good job. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. If it does not work out with Douglas, and you know, let's say he takes a closer look at this and says, I don't want to be tied at the hip to Adam Gase, even if I'm able to find a way to position myself to be on not as short of a rope as he is going to be. At this stage of the game, who are some prospective other options out there? And is this job just considered too potentially toxic where they're going to be forced to go to a fourth or fifth option like they did a few years ago when they ended up hiring John Idzik because they were forcing the GM hire to stay with Rex Ryan? This is actually a complete repeat, repeat of that situation, ironically enough. Um, is there any other interesting names out there who you think may be amendable to this situation if they can't lock things down with Douglas? Not that I've heard of. And, you know, it's a worse situation than with Rex Ryan. Because remember, Rex Ryan had a good degree of success. Rex Ryan brought the Jets to -to back-to-back AFC title games. At one point in time, he was a half a yard away from taking the Jets to the Super Bowl. As opposed to, say, Adam Gase, who, you know, it's not just the record with Adam Gase. It's the fact that Miami is in a rebuilding process. Miami is projected by many to be one of the worst teams in the league. Uh, this this coming season, and who was in charge and who was making a lot of the, the moves in Miami the prior two years? Well, the head coach of the New York Jets right now. I, I think it's a situation where they're lucky in the sense that you're now post-free agency, you're now post-draft, so while you want to get a general manager in there, you've got some breathing room, as opposed to, say, at the end of the season where you're competing for, with other teams and there's a sense of urgency in there because the new uh, GM has got to get his scouting staff aligned, decide who he's going to keep on the scouting staff, et cetera. Don't have to worry about that now. I don't, I don't think they're going to get a top guy. I think Joe Douglas is you know, a long way from being uh, done because I think the Eagles are going to try and keep him if Joe Douglas even wants the job. Uh, one thing, uh, one piece of irony or, or, or one connection is, Joe Douglas and Adam Gates are represented by the same agent. That was told to me back when this uh, whole problem w- was surfacing, which I thought was kind of interesting. So, so you never know. A- and relationships like that do matter. Um, but, but I think if it's not Joe Douglas, it could be a while. Uh, and, you know, like what happened with Idzik, you're looking at the fourth or fifth guy down the schedule and someone who just like, well, what the heck, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll try the GM job. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. When we talk about specific personnel disagreements, the ones that have been discussed the most are how much to pay Le'Veon Bell, uh, a strong desire about Gase you know, to, to pay or overpay for C.J. Mosley, him not getting fells. Uh, I'm assuming there were some disagreements about them not closing a, a center. Was there any other specific player disagreements that came to the forefront and we immediately saw Gase move on from Darren Lee, a guy who, you know, was on the trade box pretty obviously for a while here after what they spent on Mosley and that they drafted another inside linebacker. Do you expect 
So for the first part, was there any other specific player disagreements? And for the second part, do you expect further dominoes to fall in terms of Gase getting rid of McCagnan guys and going to try to acquire some of, quote-unquote, his guys before week one hits? Uh, the answer to the second question uh, is, yeah. I mean, I, I think you could see it because that's what, you, what new regimes usually do. I mean, look at the other team that plays uh, in MetLife Stadium, the Giants. When Gettleman came in, I mean, literally, uh, until right before the draft, he was getting rid of a lot of Jerry Reese's players and bringing in his own players. So I would expect that to happen. You know, here's the interesting thing. Everyone is, is saying that, well, Adam Gase didn't want to pay Le'Veon Bell that much. I was told, and I had been reporting since the combine, that Tevin Coleman, Tevin Coleman, the running back, was Adam Gase's guy because he felt that that was the better fit for his offensive system. I go back to the fact that Gase runs an outside zone type running system, which was a, which would have Tevin Coleman would have perfectly fit, whereas Le'Veon Bell is an interior gap runner, which doesn't fit the Gase system. So I think when people are saying you know Adam Gase didn't want to pay. Le'Veon Bell that much more that much money I think and I I was was led to believe throughout the uh, combine and I I'm there I've been there every combine since 2001 that really Kevin Coleman was the guy that the Jets wanted or at least Adam Gates wanted so uh, we'll see how that plays out or if, if that that uh, that story uh, eventually comes to fruition. As McCagnan and Heimerdinger leave this role, league-wide, what kind of reputation do those two guys have? Is there a reputation attached at the hip? Uh, and where do you think they ultimately end up going from here? You know, I really haven't heard too much about Heimerdinger. Heimerdinger was, I think, collateral damage in this. Uh, you know, there was a story yesterday uh, that, you know, the problem was between Heimendinger and uh, Mike McCagnan. And that, that's why they both got fired. And to me, that was nothing but cover for Adam Gase. I heard that, I didn't hear that a single time, uh, over the, over the five weeks that I, you know, was digging or, or talking to people about this story. I can tell you about McCagnan. The problem with McCagnan, and I said this back, uh, during free agency or the criticism of McCagnan is, you know, he can't make a decision. He's not authoritative enough. He, he has a very laid back, methodical, you know, uh, sort of personality where it seems that he frets over the pros and cons too much rather than making a decision. So the, uh, the criticism is you just can't make a decision. I spoke with someone last week before he was fired, and he said the problem with McCagnan is he's too old school for uh, his own good. And I mentioned this on the podcast last night. And when I asked, well, what does that mean? He says, well, Mike McCagnan, doesn't believe that centers should be getting contracts that are $10 million a year. And he doesn't believe that tight ends should be getting huge contracts. He thinks that the big contracts are for the skill position players or for, de- or for defense. And it's ironic when you look at the fact that, you know, Matt Paradis, they courted Matt Paradis. Everyone thought Matt Paradis was coming to the Jets. Matt Paradis flies to New York the first day of free agency. He does a bid at NFL.com. But he's really here because he expects to sign a contract with the Jets. The Jets never offer him a contract. Then you have the uh, issue with Daniel Fells. People say, well, you know, that's not a big deal. Well, yeah, it may not be a big deal, but they use a fourth-round pick on a tight end. And look at last year, what happened with Austin Safarian Jenkins. You know, Jenkins had some of his best year, uh, his best season in 2017, his best, his best years with the Jets. He wanted to return to the Jets. 
And the Jets were just a million dollars off. They wouldn't pay Safarian Jenkins. He goes elsewhere. So I, I think that, uh, that criticism that he's a little bit too old school and he doesn't want to part with money for positions that he, do, he doesn't think are overly important does have some legs to it. If Adam Gase doesn't get the Jets job, and we'll make this the final question, what were the other prospects for him around the league? Like, where was he generally thought of in terms of, like, tiers of available coaching candidates heading into last offseason? Were the Jets basically his only life raft uh, in becoming another head, head coach again as fast as he did immediately after being fired? Well, no, because, remember, he wanted the Cleveland job. And uh, he interviewed for the Cleveland job, and he didn't get the Cleveland job, which made him desperate, you know, to take the Jets job uh, under the guise that you know you're going to take the Jets, you're going to be the head coach, and we're going to bring Greg Williams in as your defensive coordinator, which really leads you know people people say, well, you know, he's great with young quarterbacks, he does a great job developing quarterbacks. Well, why then did John Dorsey, who's one of the best football minds out there? and has basically turned the Cleveland Browns around in a period of uh, 18 months from NFL doormat to now contender in the NFC North and has a guy who's going to be a second-year quarterback, why didn't why did John Dorsey basically say thanks but no thanks to Adam Gase? If Gase is such a great uh, developer of quarterbacks and he's this young, brilliant mind, which a lot of people say that, but I would say he's a very talented football guy, but it's just the personality that gets in the way. So, you know, the, the it was either the Jets' job or it was some assistant uh, offensive coach uh, somewhere in the league uh, uh, until the end of the 2019 season for Gase. All right, Tony Pauline, thank you for joining us. Appreciate the insight into the Jets. Very interesting offseason. We'll be interesting to see how the relationship between Adam Gase, Greg Williams, and the rest of the crew develops over these next few months. Everyone give a follow to his work at thedraftanalyst.com and give him a follow on Twitter. Thank you again for joining us, Tony. Thanks for having me. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. 